Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if you've heard the getaway by the Afghan wigs yet, but yo. That's my joy! joy. Hey, What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life, dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. All right, we got a uh, a, a special uh, recap show here for you today. I'm going to uh, be playing you a bunch of uh, segments from the show, from the history of the podcast, dating all the way back to episode one. We're going to revisit some of those old segments and rants and raves and uh, reviews and stuff like that. Uh, but first, before we do that, let me uh, just take care of some things. One, how are you guys doing? I hope you are doing well. I am doing very fantastic. I myself have just come back uh, from a trip to Vermont. Uh, and I, I've come back recharged and ready to go and relaxed. And that's really all that we need right now is we all just need a chance to relax. So um, I do apologize if, uh, if you were expecting an interview episode today. Um, there will be one coming next week. But today you're going to get a clip show, you know, your favorite thing where you get to revisit old things. So that's going to happen. Um, also, here's a very big news. I was a guest on another podcast. That's right. Uh, you need to go check out the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review, all right, and look for um, an episode with yours truly talking about the film A Thousand Clowns. Um, it is a phenomenal conversation uh, with my good buddy, Zach Eastman, who is the host of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. And um, it is an incredible show that just kind of travels through the golden age of cinema um, uh, with an incredibly knowledgeable cat who I am uh, so honored. Let me sit in the chair next to him and do that. So check that out. Um, that's available now uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, you know, and uh, there will be a link to it in the show notes. So uh, definitely check that out. I was uh, very excited, very excited to be on that show and to talk about that film, um, which is a number one favorite of mine. So um, check that out. Uh, uh, and then uh, next week we'll have our interview. But first, your clip show. Here we go. Here's the clip show. First one. First clip comes from uh, the very first episode, and this was the first kind of rant I ever did uh, on the show. And it's all about how I feel like I've been replaced. Uh, so, uh, Nate from episode one, take it away. You know, I used to be the guy that people would ask, who sings that song? Yeah, that was me. I was that guy. I was the guy who would say, oh, that song? Uh, that's Tall Bachman. That song, She's So High. You know, the son of Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive. You know, taking care of business. And then we'd high five. But you don't need that guy anymore. I've been replaced by Google. You Google that now. 
And then, you know, I was a musician. I would cover these songs and I'd be up there on stage and I'd hear you. I'd hear you out there. I'd start playing a song and you'd go, oh, shit, I remember that song. I love that song. But then you were like, eh, fuck guitars. I want to DJ. I want to dance. So I start DJing. Then I hit you with Breakfast at Tiffany's early in the night and I get that moment back where you go, oh, my God, I love that song. Who sings that? And I go, actually, it was a band called Deep Blue Something. And then you try to guess it what the something is and I correct you and try to tell you that something is actually part of the name quote deep blue something end quote and then we'd laugh and now uh, you just say Alexa play my old shit and that shit comes on and you love it and you don't need me anymore what is my purpose How cool is that? Revisiting the past. Um, so just a disclaimer, that uh, music that's uh, the the bed underneath that rant, uh, you're going to hear that in probably all of these. So if you're uh, sick of it already, I apologize. Uh, you're going to hear it a, a bunch more. Uh, this next one, this next uh, segment um, is, uh, it, I actually recorded it a little bit later, but it is the, it is the piece that kind of dictates what the mission statement of the Yo, That's My John brand is. Uh, it was the very first post that I wrote on the website uh, when it was a website before it was a podcast, uh, Yo, That's My John.com. This was the very first uh, piece I wrote. This was me kind of uh, explaining uh, what I wanted to experience uh, with the Yo, That's My John brand. And it's all about positivity and music. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So give a listen to this guy. Our life together is so precious. Together we have grown. We have grown. It's in every step I take. From the way I wear my hat to my desire to not only rock and roll all night, but also find a way to party every day. I am a street-walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm, born to run like a bat out of hell, fueled entirely by one thing. Music. It's been there whenever I need it. Music would always find me. In the happiest moments of my life that I never wanted to end, to my saddest moments of despair that seemed like they never would. It can raise me up to heights unknown to us common earth folk far outside of our stratosphere. But it can just as powerfully send me crashing down in the kind of flat spin that cost us goose so many moons ago. It owns me, mind, body, and soul, and I would have it no other way. Surrounded by the people I love, music has been there. Alone, unsure if I can make it one more day, music has been there. It has taught me love. It has taught me hate. It has taught me obsession. It has taught me forgiveness. It has taught me how to feel. Taught me how to remember. Taught me how to forget. Music has been such an important part of my life. Riding shotgun through the grand universe of the day-to-day. Never knowing where we're headed, but knowing that when we got there, we'd have gotten there together. But something happened. I don't know when and I don't know why, but music climbed into the back seat, still in the car with me and still there for the journey, but no longer my co-pilot charting our course, no longer reading the map and telling me where to go, how to go. Music went from being an active sidekick, the Ernie Reyes Jr. to my Gil Gerard, to more of a passive passenger, quiet so often that at times I find myself offering a fatherly, you're right back there, bud? Sometimes I can hear music singing along from behind me, but 
Most days I just see it when I peer into my rear view, humming along to its own song, gazing out the window, trying to figure its own things out. We're still close, we always will be, and we still talk, but we're just not as tight as we used to be. Ooh, growing up. Adulting. Yeah, life. Yeah, at some point, I reached a certain age where time hit a gulf stream-like current and is now seemingly blowing by with every blink of the eye. Or maybe it has nothing to do with age. Maybe it's just how things are now, especially with music. Everything happens so fast with no time to devour and savor, stop and replay and stop and replay and stop and replay on a seemingly never-ending loop. And why would we want it to end, you know, until you can tell yourself that you finally understand exactly why your new favorite singer chose to audibly exhale in that one small moment before the second chorus. You know, that, that moment of pure, imperfect vulnerability where they decided to let it all hang out. There has to be a reason she or he or they left it there intentionally. Not for the casual listener, but for us. The ones who were not just listening, but really listening. The ones who wanted to understand the only ones who could understand. The dreamers and the forlorn. This wasn't for the dilettantes. This was for us. Yes, I am now singing the jaded, cynical reprise of the old man. A walking cliche bathed in the warm remembrance of a time when, quote-unquote, things were better. And dare I say it, quote-unquote, back in my day. But I swear, dear reader, I swear I'm not that guy. I can't be that guy wearing his death's head belt buckle, pining for yesterday's dreams, can I? Too old to rock and roll, but too young to die? Maybe. Maybe I am. But you know what? I don't want to be. I want to rock! God damn it! All praise be to D. Snyder. That, my friends, is where this blog comes in. This website. This media network. This daydream that I cooked up and have been kicking around my stupid ADD-infested brain, whatever this ends up being. Yo, that's my John. It's been dying to get out. I want to talk about music. I want to make music. I want to tell music, hey man, how about you come back up in the front seat of this car and take that seat next to me that you've always belonged in while I roll down the windows and crack open the sunroof so the whole damn world can hear us belting out Heartbeat It's a Love Beat by the DeFranco family at the top of our lungs, unafraid to show the world that, yes, we're crazy, but we're crazy together, in good or bad weather, happy or sad, every goddamn single day of our lives. This is going to be my happy little space to share my love of music. A place to put some album reviews, be it a new release or some back catalog gem that's been stuck on repeat in my headphones for the past 17 years or something that changed my life. I want to share some songs that I wrote in another life when I played the role of aspiring musician that I was too shy or too self-conscious to let anyone listen to for fear that they might hate it, or worse yet, they might like it. I want to deconstruct the earworms that continuously threaten to colonize my brain and try to find a way to evict them from my head. I want to talk about the industry, and I want to talk about what's moving me and what isn't. But most importantly, I want to have a discussion. Look. I'll be the first to admit how masturbatory all this is. Listen to me. Listen to what I want to listen to. Oh, the cleverness of me. Yeah, I don't expect you to hang on my every word. And if we're being completely honest, I truly don't expect you to have read this far. But maybe something will catch your eye and you'll think, hey, someone else likes that song too. Or, you've got to be kidding me. This is garbage. Or, 
maybe I turn you on to something you never even knew existed. I don't know. But what I do know is I have had a lifelong love affair with music, and it is time I pay it the respect it deserves. I still love you, music. I just hope that you still love me. Right. Pretty important. Pretty important stuff. I think uh, I think I've kind of I have not strayed the path, I hope. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, music is still riding shotgun with me. All right. Next one. This is from uh, the second episode I think we did. Uh, This is uh, all about uh, me reconciling the fact that sometimes I very much enjoy the doors and sometimes I don't. Um, When I was in eighth grade, I was an enormous uh, Jim Morrison fan. And now I think he's a buffoon. But this is this is kind of kind of the back and forth, the yin and the yang of being a Doors fan. So here is here is my Doors question. You know, peace to Bruce McCulloch, I am a Doors fan. I am a Doors fan, and yet I struggle to say those words. When I was in 8th or ninth grade, right around the release of the Oliver Stone film, all I ever listened to was the Doors. I love them. I still love them. Yet I do not like to say the phrase, I am a Doors fan, out loud. Why? James Douglas Morrison. Mr. Mojo Risen. The Lizard King. The Shaman. The Poet. Ugh. Allow me one moment to get my Inner Valley Girl on here, but gag me with a fucking spoon. Okay. That was a bit harsh. But my inability to shout from the rooftops that I am a Doors fan is due to the fact that I think Jim Morrison is overrated. But... In saying that, I also believe that Masters Dinsmore, Manzarek, and Krieger are criminally underrated. As a matter of fact, if you pull out the scales of justice and you put the overratedness of Jim on one pan and the underratedness of John Ray and Robbie on the other, well, that bad boy would hit level. The Doors are, to borrow a phrase from Chuck Klosterman, a perfectly rated band. They're great! Now, of course, the comedic irony of all of that is that I have zero desire to ever listen to any of the Doors albums sans Jimbo, but hey, maybe sometimes you need not separate the wheat from the chaff. I am a Doors fan and I love the Doors, and bloviate as much as I have about Jim Morrison, I love Mr. Mojo Ryzen. I mean, he was the Lizard King for Christ's sakes. He can do anything. I say all of this as background to ask you what I'm about to ask you next, and that is, why is the song Waiting for the Sun not on the album waiting for the sun. Why? Who let this happen? You let your title track be an outtake? You know, I bet it was Jim. And P.S. Don't think you're getting away without getting caught out about this either, Led Zeppelin. You're gonna put Houses of the Holy on physical graffiti? Really? You're suspect. Anyway, new rule. Don't do that. Thanks. Signed, a Doors fan. Right. So, you know, you get it. You get it. Uh, Come on. Don't do that ever again. Stop doing that. But uh, all right. Next one. Um, This one uh, you've probably heard me talk about and uh, and you've possibly seen me share it uh, on all of the socials over and over again. This was my plea to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to please get your heads out of your asses and induct the monkeys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
On November 7th, HBO aired the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony inducting such legends as the Doobie Brothers, Nine Inch Nails, T-Rex, Whitney Houston, Depeche Mode, and the Notorious B.I.G. My congrats to all of them. Their inclusions are, to me, all deserved. Every year, the Hall inducts artists and influencers based on a committee nomination and then is voted on by more than 1,000 rock experts. And every year, there's an enormous debate as to who got in that shouldn't have and who didn't that should have. I'm not here to add to that debate, because what I'm about to say is not up for a debate. It's a definitive fact. It is time to let the monkeys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I will say it again. It's time to put the monkeys in the Hall of Fame. Look, I could sit here all day and rattle off names of people that should be in the Hall of Fame. New York Dolls, Thin Lizzy, Bad Brains, Todd Rundgren, Link Ray, The Replacements, Eric B. and Rakim, Devo, Chic, Africa Bombada, Graham, motherfucking Parsons. And those are just a few names off the list of people who've at least received nominations. The Monkees haven't even received a goddamn nomination! And I already hear you with your bullshit, but Nate, they didn't play their own instruments. Cool. Neither did Elvis. That guitar he shook his hips behind, that was for show. And guess what? The Monkees eventually did play their own instruments. But Nate, they didn't write their own songs. No, not all of them, but they did write a lot of their own songs. Specifically Mike Nesmith, who not only wrote for the Monkees, but also graced Linda Ronstadt with the song Different Drum. I'd also add, they wrote more than Elvis did. <laughs> well, that's fine, Nate, but they were a manufactured band. Oh, you mean like how Malcolm McLaurin manufactured the Sex Pistols? The Sex Pistols, who I might add, covered the monkeys. I'm not your stepping stone. Hmm, what do Elvis, Linda Ronstadt, and the Sex Pistols all have in common? They're all in the Hall of Fame! The Prefab Four are one of the best-selling acts of all time, having sold more than 75 million records worldwide. I'd put the Monkey Songbook up against almost anyone else. As the music historian Andrew Sandoval has written, the Monkees pioneered the format of the music video, and Nesmith would go on to create the concept and prototype of MTV. It was money made from the Monkees that gave us the films Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces and made Jack Nicholson a star. They were the first to use a Moog synthesizer on a rock recording. They gave Neil Diamond and fellow Hall of Fame snubs Carole King and Harry Nielsen a platform to showcase their songwriting. And they gave the Jimi Hendrix Experience its first U.S. concert tour exposure when the Monkees had them open for them on their 67 tour. 20 songs in the top 100 Billboard charts, including 6 in the top 10 and 3 number 1 hits, the Monkees are the Pete Rose of the Rock Hall of Fame. And it is time to let them in that bitch. I wanted to share with you a brilliant Monkees track that showcases, to me, their standing as more than how they are frequently portrayed. It's an outtake written by Nesmith that didn't make it on the Headquarters album. I could decide whether to share the Monkees outtake, share the version they performed on the Johnny Cash show, or share the version that was finally released on Nesmith's first solo album, Magnetic South. So, I settled on just singing it for you myself. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the very beautiful Nine Times Blue. It's too late. I mean, it, it, it should have happened years ago, but we will take it now. Induct those gentlemen into the Hall of Fame while you can. All right, this next one, uh, this one is uh, kind of, uh, um, uh, you, you know, a uh, examination of something that should not exist, and that is the Brady Bunch cover of the Don McLean classic, American Pie. So uh, let's revisit that guy. 
When I was in high school, I was an enormous fan of what could be considered novelty songs. You know, the expected things like Weird Al and Fish Heads and the other brilliant songs you'd find on Dr. Demento, but also TV theme songs and commercial jingles and bands like Herman's Hermits and the Partridge Family and the DeFranco Family and all that good, good, corny pop. Those were some of my earliest Johns. As a matter of fact, catch me on a good day and I might tell you how the DeFranco family's heartbeat as a love beat is the greatest piece of pop art ever created. And I will not allow you to argue with me about that because that is a fact. But I digress. These songs may hold the key to the creation of the website Yo That's My John and in turn this podcast because I didn't love these things ironically. I didn't love them with any guilt. No, these weren't guilty pleasures to me. They were my Johns, and one of my all-time favorite Johns is the music created by Marsha and Greg and Jan and Peter and Cindy and Bobby. Yes, guys, I am talking about the music of the Brady Bunch. I don't know if you know this or not, but beyond the music featured on the classic 70s sitcom, the Brady Kids released four albums. Five if you count the duet album between Maureen McCormick and uh, Chris Knight. Yeah, I could go on and on about It's a Sunshine Day and Time to Change and the delicious cruelty of making poor little Cindy Brady sing Frosty the Snowman with that signature lisp of hers. Spoiler alert, there are a lot of S's in that song. But today, dear friends, today I just want to take a moment to talk to you about the manic fever dream that is the Brady Bunch cover of Don McLean's seminal classic 1971's American Pie. Folks, If you have not heard this, allow me to describe it for you. The Brady Bunch's version of American Pie sounds like what I imagine a murder cult of children would sound like prior to taking turns stabbing you repeatedly as if you were Julius Caesar. Et tu, Brady? Listening to it conjures the fear, is this real? Am I hearing this? Or am I having a stroke? If you told me that it held the same supernatural properties as the video in the movie The Ring, that your death would now be on the horizon just for the crime of listening to it play, guys, I would believe it. And I love every goddamn second of this song. The madness starts slow and melodically on the piano, as you may expect it to start, but instead of greeting the listener with the story-starting opening lines of a long, long time ago, we are snapped out of our comfortable bed of ivory with a wah hit on the guitar and the janky beginnings of pure 70s variety show swagger. Where are we headed? On a one-way ticket, straight to verse number four, bypassing all of the setup and barreling straight into the Manson error segment of the song Helter Skelter in a Summer Swelter it is madness but mad as that may be it pales in comparison to the pure whimsical nature that the Brady clan gleefully delivers the fifth verse line fire is the devil's only friend I do not understand who asked for this but I am here for it They sing through references to Hell's Angels and lighting the sacrificial rite with Satan laughing in delight and they sing the chorus a few more times and then they're out. They literally recorded a cover just to sing two of six verses and then they bounced. I love this song so much because I can't figure out why it even exists. Who knew that on that one day when that lady met that fella that their union would gift humanity with such a curious and confusing piece of pop art. The day the music died, oh no, my friends, this, this is the good stuff. 
right? I mean, come on. That's a, a, a an incredible piece of pop art. <laughs> an incredible piece of pop art. It shouldn't exist, but it does. And we are all the better for it. Um, this next one is um, how I looked back at the impact that the Beastie Boys had on my life. And, uh, and uh, yeah, still do. Um, love those dudes. And, uh, you know, a, a big part of my sensibility comes from them. Uh, so this was, this was my ode to the Beasties. Now, here's a little story I got to tell. This past week was the 35th anniversary of an album that changed my life. That album, licensed to ill by the Beastie Boys, wasn't my entry into hip-hop, but it was the first hip-hop album that seemed like it was made for me. See, by the time Licensed to Ill came out, I was already knee-deep into my love affair with hip-hop, which started earlier that year in 86 when, by chance, someone left a copy of Raising Hell by Run DMC in the tape deck of a rental car my parents rented while ours was in the shop. And the obsession was immediate. Birthed by the line, now Peter Piper picked peppers, but rum rock rhymes. It was over. Right there. From then on out, I became a young nine-year-old b-boy. I rocked parachute pants and carried a broken down cardboard box trying to pop, lock, and windmill. And I wanted to rhyme. And when License to Ill dropped, it was an awakening. See, I was a kid from the Burbs. And even though MCA, Ad Rock, and Mike D were all New York City guys, Ill felt suburban. And yes, 35 years later, I know that there's some sort of racial component to that because they're white. But the Beasties felt like my guys. They were funny and irreverent, and they were everything I wanted to be. Actually, that's not completely true. They weren't. Ad Rock was. MCA was the nicest lyricist in the crew, and Mike D had hilarious lines. But to nine-year-old me, Ad Rock was the coolest cat that ever did live. Honestly, to 44-year-old me... Ad Rock is the coolest cat that ever did live. One of the things that I think most added to the success of License to Ill was the use of samples and interpolations that Rick Rubin used in the construction of the music. He had Zeppelin and Lowrider and more Zeppelin and Sabbath and The Clash and CCR. It was all the music I was already familiar with. It was like Rick took what worked on putting Run DMC with Aerosmith and he injected human growth hormone into it for the Beasties. I love this album, and I love those three boys called Beastie. So, in honor of the 35th anniversary of the release of License to Ill, here is my little acoustic cover of Paul Revere, complete with a little bit of the Yo, That's My John theme song tagged on at the end there for good measure. Enjoy. Oh, you all want to hear a story? You want to hear a little story? Now, here's a little story I got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. It started way back in history with that rock MCA and me, Mike D. Then had a little horsey named Paul Revere. Me and my horsey and a portal here. Ride across the land, kicking up seizures. Pussy's on my tail, cause I'm in demand. One lonely beastie I be. All by myself without nobody. The sun is beating down on my baseball. Getting hot, the brew is getting flat. Looking for a girl, I ran into a guy. His name is MCA. I said howdy, he said hi. He told a little story that sounded well rehearsed. 
were days on the run and had his dying of thirst. The brew was in my hand and he was on my tip. His voice was hoarse, his throat was dry, he asked me for a sip. He said, can I get some? I said, you can't get none. Had a chance to run and pulled out a shotgun. Quick on the draw, I thought I'd be dead. He put the gun to my head and this is what he said. Now my name is MCA, I got a license to kill. I think you know what time it is, it's time to get real. Now what do we have here? And our law and his fear. I run this land, do you understand? Do I make myself clear? I stepped into the wind, he had a gun, I had a grin. You think the story's over, but it's ready to begin. Now, I got the gun, you got the boo. You got two choices of what you can do. It's not a tough decision, as you can see. I can blow you away, or you can ride with me. I said I'll ride with you if you can get me to the border. The sheriffs have to move for what I did to his daughter. I did it like this, I did it like that. I did it with a wiffle ball bat. So, I'm on the run, the cops got my gun. And right about now, it's time to have some fun. The king had rocked. Spot where they got the champagne. We rode for six hours and we hit the spot. The beat was blowing and the girlies was hot. This dude was staring like he knows who we are. So we took an empty spot next to him in the bar. MCA said, Yippee, you know this kid. I said, I did, but I know he did. The kid said, Get ready, cause this ain't funny. My name's Mike D and I'm about to get money. Pulled out the jammy and aimed it at the sky. He yells, Look him up and let two fly. When people hit the floor It was the two kids that ran for the door I'm Mike D and I get respect Your cash and your jewelry is what I expect MCA was with it and he's my ace So I grab the piano player and I punch him in the face Piano player's out, the music stopped His boy had beat and he got caught Mike D grabbed the money, MCA snatched the gold I got two girlies and a beer that's cold That's my job, don't forget, yo Displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure Your taste in music doesn't have to be measured You ain't being judged, you won't get a score So what the fuck is you faking for? If you like it, you like it, you live it, don't quit it You feel what you feel, man, you with it, come with it Don't feel a bit of shame Even if the world thinks that shit is lame Tilt your head back, go ahead and get gone Tilt your head back, go ahead and get gone Tilt your head back and shout to the world, yo, that's my job. That's my job. Exactly. And then, you know, uh, uh, another ode to a very important person in my life. Uh, this was a piece that I did, uh, uh, that I had written uh, for the website about my father and um, how much I missed him and uh, and uh, how he got me into the music that I listened to. So he birthed this as much as I did, if not more, um, by birthing me. So uh, here is a piece I wrote called Runkle Schmunkle. My dad loved Harry Nielsen. 
More specifically, my dad loved the album Nielsen Schmielsen. It was one of his favorite albums, a trait that has been passed down from father to son, as it is easily in my top five favorite albums of all time. I've had a recurring internal argument with myself over whether it's Harry's beautifully tenored voice or his brilliantly abstract songwriting that has driven this obsession with him all these years, but that argument is just foolish drivel. I love Harry Nielsen because my dad loved Harry Nielsen. One of his favorite songs from Nielsen Schmielsen that has recently found itself with a bit of resurgence is its opening track, Gotta Get Up. Originally released as the B-side to Harry's monster hit, Without You, Gotta Get Up was featured last year in the Netflix series Russian Doll, starring the show's co-creator Natasha Lyonne. So that's where you might know it from. But that's not where my sister and I know it from. No, Natalie and I know it because my dad would sing Gotta Get Up to us every single morning that he had to wake us up. And he would continue to sing it until we got up. As a small aside, yes, my sister's name is Natalie and my name is Nathan. But no, our parents did not do this to be cute. Actually, it was my doing. Our parents let me name my little sister. And so I chose Natalie, but not because of the alliteratory nature of the coupling of our names, but it's because I was a fan of Mindy Kahn's character Natalie on The Facts of Life. To be honest, the Nate and Nat thing never even crossed my mind. I feel like that story should tell you as much about me as you need to know to confirm any preconceived notions you may have already had about me. But I digress. Our dad didn't just sing Gotta Get Up to Us when we were children. It continued into our adult lives. I was in my 30s, and if I kept hitting the snooze button, not wanting to open my eyes for work and let either my alarm clock or responsibility win, I would hear from the doorway of my bedroom my father's voice. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning comes. He loved that song. And Nat and I loved that song. And we loved to hear him sing that song, no matter how annoyed we would pretend to be at his attempt to get us up. So much that when I finally moved out, I set my alarm clock to gotta get up because it reminded me of home. It reminded me of him. My father passed away a year ago this week. My sister and I were there with him until the very end, and uh, on that last day that we spent by his side in the hospital room, knowing that it was the end, but secretly hoping that the doctors were wrong and that he would come to and just show them how wrong they were, I reached inside my pocket and I pulled out my cell phone. I opened up Apple Music and I loaded up Nielsen Schmielsen, and as I placed my phone on his chest, I hit play. Side one, track one. And Harry's wonderful voice began to fill the hospital room. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning comes. Just as my father's voice would ring out every morning that he would wake my sister and I from our slumber. And so I hoped it would work there. That those words may awaken my father from the inevitable, just like he woke my sister and I countless times and that I would hear him sing along. Well, it it didn't. He didn't. But it wasn't entirely unsuccessful. I know it can be chalked up to an involuntary movement, and who knows, maybe it was. But as Harry sang, I am sure, as anything in my life, that my father tapped his feet. And I know that he had tapped his feet because he could hear one of his favorite songs from one of his favorite albums, and he knew that we were there with him. He knew. But he had to run, run, yeah. I think about my father a lot. You know, recently I've been wondering to myself what he would make of the COVID-19 pandemic. I know he'd be worried for me, and I know he'd be tremendously worried for my sister, who's immunodeficient. 
But most of all, I know that early on in all of this, before the guidelines and before the stay-at-home edicts, I know that he would have asked me, are you buying all this? You think it's real? He would ask me a version of that sentiment about challenging topics from time to time, and I would answer him, trying to hide my confusion on how could you not believe it when all of the evidence would point to things being real. But it wasn't until recently that I realized that he wasn't challenging the narrative in those instances. If he had asked me those questions about the coronavirus outbreak, it wasn't necessarily that he didn't, quote, buy it. It was that he valued my opinion, and he wanted to know what I thought. Because he knew I would be honest with him. I don't use Gotta Get Up as my alarm clock anymore. I can't. Because when I hear that song, I don't want to hear Harry's voice. I want to hear my dad's. I love you, and I miss you very much, Dad. All right. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the thing we did. All right. For the final one, here is the most recent one that I did. Um, and so you may have heard it recently, but give it another listen. This is all about how Vanilla Ice made me cool for about two weeks in high school. And not even high school. Ninth grade. Junior high. Cool guy. Nate Runkle. Thanks to Rob Van Hawinkle. There was a two-week or so period in eighth grade when I was cool. Let me explain. I was never a dweeb. Okay, at least I don't think I was, you know. So if you knew me back then and I was, please do not correct me if I am wrong. But no, I wasn't a dweeb, but I was never cool. So like no one ever wanted to be me, but also no one ever threw bags of dog shit at my door either, which please note that was a Patrick Dempsey can't buy me love reference. And I want credit for that one. Okay, thanks. But on the cool spectrum, I like to think that I was like middle class. I was I was middle class cool. You know, I could bridge clicks all while not truly living in one or the other. I was like a uh, popularity nomad, if you will, a man without a home. But for around two weeks in junior high, I was cool. And I was cool thanks to Rob Van Winkle. Yeah. Vanilla ice, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see... I've never not been obsessed with music. It was always radio all day until I could rush home and turn on MTV. And then when it was time for bed, I would rush to my top bunk and jump up there and turn on my clock radio and set the sleep timer to 60 minutes. And I would fall asleep to the songs of the day. Uh, A clock radio, I might add, that is literally still sitting about four feet from me right this second. Because I am a hoarder. No, but I loved music completely, and I was always on the hunt for something new to latch onto and call my own before anyone else ever heard it. You know, well, some things never fucking change, right? But at that time, my station of choice was either Q102 or Eagle 106. This was pre-Nirvana setting the world on fire and revolutionizing music, sending all of us into our closets to dig out our flannels and our thermals. But so at that time, in my world, pop reigned supreme and that summer mc hammer's please hammer don't hurt him was all i was listening to coming off the success of the single you can't touch this which i only just learned right this second while writing this up that it only ever reached as high as number eight on the billboard hot 100 a fact that seems like pure make-believe to me because that song was goddamn everywhere that summer but i guess it's true Because the very first hip-hop track to hit number one on the Hot 100 was the song that birthed this story I'm telling you right now. Ice Ice Baby. (coughs) 
<laughs> racism. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had something in my throat there. But from the very first run of those hi-hats into the under-pressure bass line, I was hooked like a fiend on Ice Ice Baby. It hit me like a Mack truck and made me immediately want to get up out of my seat and collaborate and listen and dance and bum-rush the speaker that booms. That was my John. Almost immediately after hearing it for the first time, I had my parents take me to the Montgomery Mall so I could stroll into the Sam Goody that I would end up working at a decade later to buy that album. To the extreme. I bought the cassette, I opened it up, I put it in my Walkman where it would live uninterrupted. Almost simultaneous to my purchase of that album, Ice Ice Baby blew up and To the Extreme was sold out everywhere. And there was only one kid in the 8th grade of North Penn Junior High who had a copy. And that kid was me. So for two weeks, that album was out of stock. In all of the local music stores, I was the king of the roost. Popular kids who had never as much said one peep to me were my new besties acting like they were my day ones. I loaned that tape out to everyone because, look, I was the guy who owned To The Extreme. Who was I to not bless his subjects with the dope beats of Sir Robert Van Winkle? Was I not a merciful king? Well, you know, it didn't last long. Soon, all the stores, they were restocked and everyone was able to get their own copies. And so my kingdom fell and I went right back to my regular, degular, middle-class life. But I had flown so very close to the sun and I had a taste of the dopamine hit that sharing music with the masses could deliver. So all of this, all of my life's passions... All of it was birthed right there with a hi-hat and a souped-up tempo. So, yeah, there is uh, your uh, your clip show uh, for this evening. Guys, thanks for joining me. Don't forget to check out uh, Zach's podcast, Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Um, you're you're, you're going to love it. Uh, you're going to love this conversation that we had. Uh, at least I hope you do as much as I did. It was uh, incredible. You know, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, uh, you know, the Yo, That's My John podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. And it's never too late for you to get yourself a super awesome John Scout Merit badge for citizenship of the world and all you have to do to do that is just rate and review us you know don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles merchandise and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast and guys while you're there be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get uh all those updates delivered straight to your inbox get some updates in your inbox you don't get enough email let me email you you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my john for updates and live streams follow us on instagram and twitter at yo that's my john and search yo that's my john on youtube to find the yo that's my john youtube channel like and subscribe the heck out of that ish we want to hear from you reach out reach out and touch some john well there we go we did it all right this is uh your clip show uh thank you we will be back next monday next monday we're coming back with an interview with uh cinema hearts uh it's going to be a phenomenal episode and i want you right back here with me I want you in my passenger seat. You are my co-pilot. You are my co-pilot, and we are going to land this plane. That's right. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. 
Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, that's my John is a Lonely Monk production, written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music, featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott. Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>